الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مدل له ومن يذلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد We are at the point in the seerah of the most beloved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he has been getting wahi through dreams and he's already had angels that he has interacted with that have opened his chest a second time and cleansed it and this is from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet sallallahu is being prepared for something that is a very difficult task and a very difficult thing to take on. Yani, sometimes when you read the books of Sirah or Tariq, people read it as if they're reading fiction, so it doesn't really affect them. But when you read them, knowing that this is reality, this really actually historically happened, then you have to think about the beauty of the way the Prophet ﷺ was given prophethood, and the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the courage and the heart of the Prophet ﷺ to be able to handle it. And if somebody just comes up to you and is Jibreel ﷺ in his full form and picks you up and tells you you're the Prophet, people can't handle it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knowing his makhluq, knowing his creations, and knowing their strengths and weaknesses, he's preparing the Prophet ﷺ and he chose the Prophet ﷺ because of the sifat, because of what Allah knew that he had. So here, we see in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ He tells the Prophet ﷺ in Surah Al-Imran that we revealed, or the book was revealed upon you, بِالْحَقْ if you look at the same ayah, it continues, you continues, it says, وَأَنزَرَ التَّوْرَةِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ You notice the difference? نَزَّلَ وَأَنزَلَ okay? If we look at English translations, usually we will just say revealed, or sent down. And most of us that read the Qur'an, we never think about the eloquence, the beauty of the language of the Qur'an. Arab and Ajam. I mean, don't think because you know Arabic, you're sitting there like, I knew that, right? No, you didn't. <laughs> right? Now, when you think about this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about al-kitab that was sent to the Prophet sallallahu as anzala. In the same ayah, when he talks about al-Tawrat, al-Injil, he says, what does he say? <laughs> I was testing you guys right there, right? Tell you, what's the difference? It has to do with today's dars, not a tafsir dars, right? What's the difference? Where are my baligh, nahwis, huh? Tayyib. Nazala is bit by bit, anzala is one shot. Tayyib. In Surah Al-Qadr, what does Allah say about the Quran? Anzalnahu fi Al-Qadr. Is it nazala or anzala? What is it about? So why the ikhtilaf bayn al-ayatayn? Now this is 
the ignorant uh, who maybe Christians or apologists who learn a little bit of Arabic, ha, huh, we caught a contradiction. Why? Because they're ignorant. You know, when we put challenges out, that if somebody can show us a single con contradiction, the Quran will leave us. It's not because uh, we're worried about it, because we know there are no contradictions in the Quran. Why? Allah. And this, what we're going to, I mean, the, people always ask about the linguistic miracle. I mean, you can't just sit in one jumla and be like, this is the, I mean, you have to study the Quran to understand it. Tayyib. So, Nazzala alayk al kitab. Here it is, as the Sheikh uh, Abu Ubaid said, that when something is revealed gradually, then the word Nazzala is used linguistically. Right? And then when it talks about the Torah and Injil, Anzala, because this is what is revealed in one shot, yani at one time. Tayyib. We'll talk about it. So, when we talk about Anzala and Nazala, here we find a linguistic understanding. Before, I mean, when I was preparing these durus, I went through a hadith and ayat to see how it's used. And you will find a, a continuously uh, yani a pattern that fits. Where you have this? The only thing we can find is in Surah Qadr, as the brother pointed out. Here we have, uh, Inna anzalnahu. Anzalna is used for the Quran here, which is in one shot. So why? And this is explained. This is not something that you know, we haven't, like, you know, when people talk about the difference in Qur'at and things, it's not, like, it's not like we don't know these things. We know these things because we study these things. So, when we have Nazzalnaha here, this is explained by the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, the great Sahabi, as Ibn Kathir and before him Al-Tabari have mentioned Sanadan, with the Sanad. He says that the Qur'an was revealed in three stages. In three stages. One was when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an to the Lahu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an is kalamullah, ghair makhluq. It is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It does not have a beginning. It does not have an end. Meaning it, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were always with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He revealed them, awwalan, first, as Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, has said in the Sahih Hadith, he said, to the lahu, to be a lahu al to be written down. Then, from there, the second revelation is in Al-Jumla Wahda, yani in one time the Qur'an from Allah to Bayt Al-Izzah, the Sama Al-Dunya. It was revealed in one night, which is Laylatul Qadr, which is better than a thousand nights. And that is why in Surah Qadr, it is not Nazzala, it is Anzal. Anzalnahu. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in one night. Now look at that beautiful linguistic miracle. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he talks about the revelation of the Quran to the Prophet, he uses Anzal. And when he talks about the, the one night of the Quran coming down, he uses Anzal. And you can go through, and I tried, 
I, I mean, I have Maktaba Shamila, I put in Anzal uh, and Anzala, and I went to the Quran and Ahadith, you will find a beautiful pattern. And these are from the linguistic miracles. We'll have questions in the end, inshallah. So, Nazal is used here. Why? Because the Quran was not revealed to the Prophet in one shot. Rather, over 23 years of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Habibi, we'll talk after the dust, inshaAllah. So here, we have the rawaya from Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, anzal Allahu Qur'an, jumla wahda, min al-luh al-mahfub, al-bayt al-izza, min al-samaa al-dunya. Thumma anzala mufassilan, bisabab al-waqi'a, fi 23 sana. That Allah subhanahu wa revealed the Quran first, as we mentioned from the earlier part of the Rawaya, to Allah. And then from Allah al Mahfub to Baytul Izza, which is in the last Sama, in one night, which is Laylatul Qadr. Then over the lifetime of the Prophet, after his age of 40 till his death, 23 years, as we mentioned in the earlier dars, upon this it was revealed. Now, when did the revelation begin for يعني, from Jibreel السلام, to Rasulullah coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? There are many opinions of ulama, but there is a hadith that we will go to. This hadith that I'm going to mention is mentioned in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, uh, hadith number 16,536, uh, 16, and some of the nusukh, it's 16,984. Uh, Al-Tabrani has it in his Kabir, uh, 185. Uh, Al-Bayhaqi in his Sunan Al-Kabir, Ibn Asakir with a different Sanad also, and many of them. And I'm mentioning this rawaya, knowing the weaknesses in some of these chains. Because the last time I did, some brothers, mashallah, who don't sit in the dars to understand, but just to jump, they were like, ah, the hadith is weak. I know it's the, the da'af in it. But if you go to Sahihah of Shaykh Albani in hadith number 1575, he considered it Hassan because of the additional support, including the Rawayat Ibn Asakir, which has a different sanat than that in the Musnad. Even if you take the Marfu, Rawayat have some weakness, Mawqufan from the Sahaba, it is proven, where they said that the suhuf that were revealed to Ibrahim were revealed in the first night of Ramadan. Tawrat, and the Torah was revealed when 16 or six nights of Ramadan had passed. Yani on the seventh day and night of Ramadan when six had already passed. And then the Injil in the 13th when 13 nights had passed. Right? And then the Quran. Uh, you continue to the Rawah of the Qur'an when 24 nights and days had passed, which would mean the night of the 25th of Ramadan. Because, you know, Islamically, the night comes first. So, this Rawah, as Al-Bayhaqi has mentioned from Al-Halimi and others, that this means that the 25th night is when the Qur'an began to be uh, revealed to the Prophet Wasallam. Other A'imma and Alima took this to be for the when it was revealed in the one jumla, not for when it began with the Prophet. But what does that tell you? That all of the books that were revealed were revealed in Ramadan. 
If you look at the Rawain al-Bayhaqi, he also mentions that the Zabur was revealed uh, when 18 nights had passed upon Dawud So what does that mean? The Torah, Zabur, the Injil, and the Quran were all revealed in Ramadan, which tells you the value of the month of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose this month, blessed this month, and we sometimes don't realize its value. Ramadan comes and goes, and we don't appreciate it. But this is such a historic, such a, a blessed month that all of the books were revealed in this month. Tayyip, now when we talk about the Quran being revealed to the Prophet when did it happen? Because when we talk about the beginning of Revelation, there are five things I want you guys to think about. When, who, including how, and then what, why, where. Okay? These are the five W's we say. Tayyip, when we talked about the Jamhur al-Ulama have said that it was revealed in one night in Laylatul Qadr, but it was also began its revelation to the Prophet in Ramadan. Meaning, looking at the siyak of the hadith and looking at the earlier books and looking at what has been mentioned, they said both of those were in Ramadan. There is some khilaf on this historic when. But Jamhur al-Ulema said it was in Ramadan. And that is what seems to be supported by the wording of the hadith. Tayyib, how and where? Without khilaf, the ulema have said that this began in the Ghar of Hira, in Jabal al-Nur in Mecca. Okay, without khilaf, without any disagreement. Tabari and Ibn Kathir and Ibn Sa'ad and all of them agreed on this. Now, what exactly happened, there is a marfu hadith, yani the Prophet ﷺ himself explained that he was there and yani according to the riwayah from Khadija anha, he had been there making ibadah, he had been there for a while and he was supposed to come back and at that time he saw a man, yani somebody in the shape of a man. Jibreel ﷺ did not come in his full form originally because again this would have been too much to handle. So he saw a man, but this is something yani, scary as well, because you're up in a cave, in a mountain, isolated, by yourself, away from everybody, and you see somebody walk in, you don't know their intent. And when Jibreel ﷺ, he came to the Prophet ﷺ, he did not introduce himself in the beginning. The first, he squeezed him, grabbed him. Yani, this is something that has a lot of hikam, and, and I want to talk about this as one of my own teachers, he, he mentioned a lot of benefits that we don't think about. Yani, first thing, what did Jibreel tell the Prophet He told him, Iqra. Iqra, Bismi Rabbika Ladi Khalaq, as we know, this is the first ayah that we reveal. Iqra has more than one meaning. One of them to read. One of them to recite. Yani, when you Qur'at Qur'an, there is Tilawat al-Qur'an, Qur'at al-Qur'an, but it can come for recitation or reading, right? Now the Prophet ﷺ was not literate, as we know. So when Jibreel ﷺ, he told him, Iqra, recite, the Prophet ﷺ responded with ma'ana biqari'ah. Yani, I am not somebody who's literate. How can I read? How can I recite? What do you want me to read? He didn't ask what in the beginning. He just said, I'm unable to. Here Jibreel grabbed him, hugged him, and squeezed him. 
The Prophet ﷺ, he explained, he said, it was such a hard squeezing that I felt that my life was about to leave my body. I was going to die. Now there is a hikmah. One, we have our own reservations. And this is, uh, I mean, uh, when you start teaching, many of you, are, mashallah, are teachers, but those of you that are not, you will realize students bring baggage. Teachers bring baggage sometimes too, right? But students bring baggage. Sometimes you get a student and you're like, I can't do it. We didn't even start yet. <laughs> I can't do it. I know I can't do it. Well, I guess you can't then. <laughs> if you think you can't, you can't. Right? You get some students, they already think you know, they know better. Okay, why are you here? If you already know better, let's go teach somewhere else. I mean, why are you here? <laughs> right? So you have that where the connection is not set between the teacher and the student. And this is where the dars does not fully benefit. When the teacher makes his niyyah mukhlisan lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I said, teachers bring baggage too. Some teachers come, their whole intention is just to impress you. They will begin with such difficult words and they'll, they'll go home and read up a dictionary and they'll bring such words that you will be like, wow, that was deep. What did you understand? Nothing. That was so deep, I didn't understand anything. What was the point of that? Then? <laughs> Shaykh ibn Uthaymeen, may Allah have mercy, one of the beautiful things about him, he would simplify concepts where a layman could sit in his dars and understand. Even though he was such a great scholar. Right? And that is a beneficial teacher who can simplify things because he's not trying to impress you, he's trying to educate you. Some teachers, they have other baggage and things, but this is one problem. And the other problem gets to be from the students. Some students come with a mindset made up. They already know better. I already know the Masail, I already know everything. MashaAllah, I've been Muslim for these many years. I've studied from this, 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 this. So they come to the dar side. Let me see what he's about. I'm going to check him right now. Right? And they might find false even when there aren't false. Because that was their niyyah. But they will not benefit from the dars. But when the teacher and the student come together on the same mindset, when that connection is made, when the food is, is halal and nice and the plate is clean, then you get the benefit. And that's why the nasiha to those that will be teachers, go out with the niyyah to benefit people, to help people learn their religion. Not with the niyyah to impress people, not with the niyyah to make a name for yourself or any of those things. When you make your... Niya mukhlisan lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala and those that are tullab even if you know better than your teachers when you go to a dars or a halaqa when you make your niya to benefit yourself when those two connect you will see the benefit in iman you will see the benefit in knowledge Jibreel is making a connection the response from the Prophet sallallahu at this time is not the response he should have that I cannot read. He should ask, what do you want me to read? So he asks him a second time and a third time and squeezing him. Until the Prophet ﷺ, he tells him the answer, which is, what do you want me to read? Then Jibreel ﷺ begins, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Now subhanAllah, from the benefits, and I'm going to be yani, brief here because we need to make progress. But what is the first thing revealed to the Prophet ﷺ? Not 
يعني اعبدوا ربكم يعني don't go make worship عبادة الله سبحانه وتعالى or يعني قم في الصلاة or يعني استعن الصلاة or يعني سوم يعني fast or give zakat or which are all great عبادات but what is the first thing to read recite again together meaning to gain that knowledge and that's a lesson for us when you want to give da'wah, when you want to do Amr bin Maruf and Nahal Munkar, you want to invite towards good and forbid from evil, when you want to go and explain the right from wrong, seek knowledge first. Okay? I'm not saying that you have to be an alim to stop somebody from haram. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you want to go and be involved in that field, then you need to seek knowledge. You can't just be like, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to be telling people right from wrong and I'm going to get on Twitter and Facebook and, and Snapchat and Instagram and I'm just going to be making rod of all this and you haven't studied anything. You're not studying anything. You're not benefiting yourself. You're not growing. What are you doing? Who put you in that place? No. Look, deal at your level. Know your level. These are very uh, elementary things, but they're missing in the ummah today. But that's what we begin with. To recite, to read, to learn. And that's why when you look at the benefits of knowledge, we look at, I mean, uh, this is a whole uh, series of durus we could do on its own, but because it's related, yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises a people with knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the way to Jannah easy for the one who sets out to seek knowledge. Imam Shafi'i, he would say that there is nothing better in, except for the fara'id, yani you cannot say like I'm going to go seek knowledge and not make fard salah. <laughs> no, your fara'id you have. But there is nothing better after the fara'id min ilm, from seeking knowledge. Imam Shafi'i used to say that there is the one who does not love knowledge, there is no good in them. La khair fihi. It's a harsh statement, but it's true. Some people like you talk about, brother, you know, in the hadith, marfu, oh brother, why you want to get into these things? Just do your work. Five amal, that's it. <laughs> you tell them what about you know there's a dars who needs Allah I know la ilaha Allah that's it you tell them what are the shuruh of la ilaha Allah they don't know what's the farq between tawhid al-uluhiyah who needs Allah what are you calling to words you stand up and propagate fabricated ahadith and stories and uh, strange things no and you do da'wah, call towards Allah, do Umar bin Maruf, do Nahal Munkar, but do it upon the Qur'an and the Sahih Hadith, the authentic established knowledge. Convey even if you know an ayah, but you should know that ayah. Don't go and talk about what you don't know about. This is what the revelation of the Qur'an began with. In the name of your Rabb who created you. And subhanAllah, there are so many benefits to why these ayat and so on. But here, these were revealed to the Prophet And the Prophet now, he doesn't know what to do. Imagine you're up in a cave by yourself. And nobody's there. And somebody comes that you don't know. You know the whole town. It's not like Mecca was so big that you didn't know the people of Mecca. You know the whole town. You know he's not from Mecca. And he grabs you and squeezes you, overpowers you, and tells you recite and recites these words. Rasul Imagine what was going on in his heart. 
Like imagine that stress, imagine that, that, that any responsibility that you're realizing. So the Prophet ﷺ, he runs out. He's having these thoughts. As he mentions himself, he says, the two most hated of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the two things I hated, were, was a sha'ir and a majnoon, yani a crazy person and a poet. Because, I mean, not that all poetry is bad. We've had great ulama of Islam like Shafi'i and Ibn Hajar and Imam Ahmad and others who have beautiful poems that are beneficial, that yani, some of them wrote mutun in a poetic format and so on. Not that every poem is bad, but what were the poets of that time? You have to look at the context. There were the people, I mean, I don't know if you guys have read the Ash'ar or the poems of Jahaliyyah, of the time of Jahaliyyah. Most of them are filled with very filthy things. Any insulting of people's mothers and aqwam and, and, and praising your tribe and uh, some romantic poetry that is outside the boundary of sharia and some of it being any, uh, towards that LGBTQXYC stuff because these people had all kinds of thought, right? This is the time of shirk. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he heard about these poets, he never sat with them. That's why the Prophet ﷺ never wrote a poem. And he was never known, and this is why Allah SWT chose him. Because if he was a poet, then they, everybody, till today, they would have been like, he wrote it, yep, yep, he was a poet. But Allah chose somebody that couldn't read or write, that wasn't a poet. So when he recited words that were so eloquent, so beautiful, that the poets couldn't respond, they said, this has to be from Allah. I mean, if another poet had written it, why would he put the Prophet SAW up front? Then he would take credit for it. Right? This is from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So nobody can deny the truth of Islam. So here, the Prophet ﷺ said, maybe I've lost my mind. Maybe I'm going to become a poet. These words are so beautiful that if they're going to come to my mind and I'm going to be reciting them. And he didn't want to be either one of them. So at this stressful time, Jibreel ﷺ realizing that he's at a time where he's contemplating jumping off the mountain. What is he going to do with this stress and responsibility in this and i tell you this many brothers they tell me i want to see a jinn how can i see a jinn i get this all the time i just want to see a jinn right and i tell them ask allah for afia ask allah for good don't don't say these things because i've seen people that have seen jinn and a strong-minded well-equipped intelligent person will lose their mind they'll lose their mind because afterwards they're always looking around, maybe there's a jinn here, maybe there's a jinn there, maybe, a jinn, maybe that guy's a jinn, you know. So ask Allah for afiyah, thank Allah that Allah made the ghayb ghayb. Hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here when Rasulullah saw Jibreel alayhi salam, but now he's thinking, who is this man? Now Jibreel alayhi salam appears to him again. He hasn't left the Jabal Nur yet. And he comes, as the Prophet said, as he was still in the human form, but in the sky. To show him that this is not just some regular guy trying to trick you or something. And he said his feet, his legs were long where they would cross the horizon. So now he realizes this is not something normal. This is something supernatural. But again, what is it? Here Jibreel then tells the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, Anta Rasulullah. You are the messenger of Allah. In truth, and I am Jibreel. Now the Prophet ﷺ, because he doesn't come from a Christian Judaic background, 
the people of Mecca, the majority of them were all idol worshippers. They knew about Jibreel السلام, a little bit, they knew about Ibrahim السلام, obviously, they knew about Musa السلام, a little bit, but they were not, there was not a large presence of Christians and Jews in Mecca. So again, he doesn't know Rasul at this time about what does that really mean? But now he does realize that this is Jibreel. And then Jibreel showed the Prophet himself in his actual form. And again, this is the hikmah of Allah, that if in the first time he had shown him, maybe the Prophet would have had a heart attack and died. I mean, Jibreel as in the Sahih Hadith, when the Prophet saw him in his full form, he said his feet were on the ground, his head was past the skies. I couldn't see past. And his wings were so wide, they would cover the east to the west. And one of the Rawayat, he had 600 such wings. He said, everywhere I would turn and look, I would see him. And even if I would turn to the side, I would see him. If I turn to the back, I see him. On the side, I would see him. That's how big Jibreel powerful he was. And Allah Taala showed him angels first, showed him uh, the, 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 the stones uh, calling out to him, making sujood to him, and so on and so on, so that he could handle this at this moment. Now the Prophet وسلم, he says, I was looking at him, I was, couldn't take my eyes off him. I couldn't look away. Now at this time, Khadija anha, she was expecting the Prophet وسلم, to be back. And when she realized the Prophet وسلم, had not returned, she had sent her servants out to look for him. And when they found him, he was paralyzed, looking. And they brought him home. I mean, some rawayat have difference, but this is what's correct. The Prophet ﷺ was at such a state that he was shaking. And it's something, again, we're taking it as if this is like some kind of anime or some cartoon. No, but in reality, when you see something like this, it's very difficult to, to comprehend and to accept. When you realize the responsibility even upon you, you know it's not going to be easy now. When you realize the, the, the greatness of the event, he's shaking. Zammiluni, zammiluni, he's telling the, uh, Khatija radiallahu anha, cover me. And Khatija radiallahu anha, even though he's sweating, she covers him. And he tells her, he doesn't, and this is from the hikmah, and he doesn't tell her, I'm the Prophet of Allah, now you have to follow me in this, no. And he tells her, I am afraid for myself, that's the first thing. He doesn't tell her exactly what happened yet. And her realizing the context, and remember I told you earlier, he had told her about the angel that opened her his chest, so knowing that this is something of that nature, she tells him, that don't worry about yourself, kalla. Don't worry, Allah will never waste you. Absha. This is good news. Whatever has happened, know it's good news. And then she tells him that, for Allah, she swears by Allah that Allah will not destroy you or leave you or let you be wasted. But what's important here is then she encourages him with his sifat, with his characteristics. And that's why I tell you, 
There is nothing more important, a stronger support for a da'i, for a alim, for a mujahid, for a, anybody who's striving fi sabilillah than a good wife, a strong wife, an encouraging wife, a pious wife, a wife that will support you, a wife. Every great yani, personality that we look at in Islam, I'm not going to go into depth here, but we look at Isa ibn Maryam and the difficult responsibility he has, but look at Maryam alayhi salam, the mother, how she supported him. We look at Rasulullah sallallahu and how Khadija radiallahu anha here supported him. And those that didn't, we look at the difficulties in their da'wah, like Lut alayhi salam and Nuh alayhi salam. Where Allah subhanahu gave the example of the kafir, and the disbelieving women, and the Quran calls them kafir. Right? And how difficult was the da'wah of Nuh alayhi salam, how it didn't bear fruit. 950 years and the best or the highest number we can get is around 80 of believers. Lut and how the people didn't follow. You see, when you have that support at home, that is the only way you can be successful. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows Khatija radiallahu anhu. We talk about yani, the first woman to become whatever uh, CEO of uh, some Fasik or Fajr organization. People are like, oh, you know, first woman. Khadija radiallahu anha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent her salam. Gave her the glad tidings of a house in Jannah. And what greater honor can that be? And imagine, Allah, Rabbul Alameen, is sending this woman salam. And she reached a level that women should be proud of. Where instead we have, oh, you know, we have a woman, she's in the Senate. Oh, what is she doing there? Passing LGBTQ right bills. Great. Good progress there, guys. Good job, man. Subhanallah. Here, what does she tell the Prophet Wasallam? And, and I'm summarizing again. I'd love to go into more depth here, but for the sake of time and moving forward in the seerah. She told the Prophet Wasallam, Allah will never waste you. Why? She says, because one, you uphold the ties of relations. What does that mean? It's, people misunderstand what that means. It doesn't mean that if your relatives uh, are drunk and uh, eating pork and making fun of the religion, you're like, it's okay, let's invite them. Hey, I'll get the beer, don't worry about it. It's family relations. No, no, no. Amar bin Maruf and Munkar is there. But and you, to give nasiha, to give uh, well wishing, and he, uh, it's difficult to explain some words. I mean, nasiha in Arabic is a very fasih term, right? But to have that for your relatives, where you keep in touch with them, or you, where you are there for them. Many times, a relative will go through an iman crisis, like maybe they're off track, but you need to be the one they can reach out and be like, you know what, I'm going through this hardship. And like, well, turn back to Allah. Turn back to your salah. Turn back to your dua. Uh, and, and I think Farsi will have khair khwa, right? We have it. In Pukhto we have it. Urdu does it as well, khair khwa. And this is the meaning of nasiha in Arabic. Being a well-wisher, being somebody, and he was there for them. The Prophet was from them. She said, you speak the truth. And you say that which is true. And this is a great evidence for Islam. That the Prophet was known, Sadiq, Amin. He was known never to lie. 
He was known to be trustworthy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose such a person whose character was impeccable. And if the Quran was revealed to me or you, <laughs> look at our own faults and our past and our history. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose such a prophet. She told him, you help the poor. You, you take care of the needy. And this is the beautiful thing about Islam. We are told not to beg. Don't ask. Ask Allah. If you have to ask, ask Allah. Some people, they're quick to beg. They'll be okay. And they'll be out there, brother, can you help a brother out? Can you give me this? Can you give me that? No. What happened to asking to Allah? Go and ask Allah. But then on the other side of it, we should be generous. That is with the Prophet ﷺ. He was quick to help people. Not just like, well, I gotta, I gotta go take care of myself. Me, myself, and I first. No. Helping others is not a sign of weakness. This is a sign of strength. Preferring others over yourself. Then she said, you serve the guests. You take care of your guests. And this is something we've lost today. When a guest comes, we see it as a burden. Oh, man, I can't believe. Well, let's go out for dinner. Well, we'll go out. We'll go Dutch. What does it mean, go Dutch? <laughs> so pathetic when Muslims are on this. What about making ikram? What about going above and beyond? For the sake of Allah. When a guest comes, they don't take your risk. They don't take your risk. They bring barakah to your house. They bring their risk with them and they leave with taking the sins of the people of the household. Meaning that those sins are forgiven from the way they serve their guests. She said, you assist the people in times of hardship. The Prophet ﷺ was from those that would help people. But again, the balance in Sharia should be there. Guests are also told that you should have some consideration. There are times in Sharia you should not visit people, especially married people. I mean, sometimes uh, you get guests that are not married, and then I mean, it's 3 a.m. and it's 4 a.m. And you know, from our adat and urf, we can't tell somebody to leave. And that's, that's against the etiquettes. So you don't tell somebody, all right, guys, wrap it up. You ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. No. You're like, more tea? Sure, guys. All right. Honey, send more tea. It's 3 a.m. I know, but they're not leaving. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> right? You don't realize the person has to go to work the next day. The person has things to do. because Just because you don't have a job doesn't mean they don't. Right? Everybody, guests, should also have an etiquette about them. They should have honor. They should have uh, their own any uh, understanding of the situation. The Sharia teaches us that. And then people should be hospitable. If a Muslim comes to your town, even if you keep them three days and three nights and feed them and take care of them, you didn't do them a favor. You just fulfilled their haq on you. We've lost this in Ummah today. Friendship, true friendship, where you will sacrifice for somebody without them even knowing about it. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and we will find this also in Abu Bakr anhu. When we talk about him in the Durus, you will find this in him. So Rasul he is comforted by Khadija Then he tells his wife everything that happened. This is what I saw. And she tells him, this is abshir, good news. Allah will never, this is, you are truly, she didn't tell him, right, you lost it. You're, you gone nuts. What? First you, you, know, you think I'm going to support you in this? Nah. I got a business to take care of. 
This is how people are today. They don't think, well, I'm, I'm going to help you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Khatija radiyallahu this shining example for Muslim women, she supported the Prophet she gave him comfort. And that's what a husband and wife are supposed to do, is to comfort each other. And she supported him, and she said, I know somebody we can go to, who knows about these things, and we will tell them what happened, and then see what is your responsibility. And inshallah, we'll pick up with that at the next verse. بإذن الله سبحانه وتعالى